0: Well, it's a uh, tremendous privilege to be here. Um, Pastor Gary, thank you for, for opening up to us here. Uh, Pastor Charles, thank you for having us. Paul, thank you for the invite. It's a, uh, it's a tremendous pleasure. I, I value our friendship a lot, Paul. You mean a lot to me, uh, as well as my friendship with Pastor Don and, and the Wilkerson's and really Brooklyn Teen Challenge in general, I, I consider it a great privilege to be part of the place where Teen Challenge started. You know, the the ministry, the 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 streets where uh, this ministry was birthed over 60 years ago, that thought is not lost on me. And it's an honor to be in town and working on some ministry projects with Pastor Don and um, being able to come over here tonight and and preach God's word to you guys. And so before we get into the message, I just uh Tell you a little bit about my life, uh, just super quick. This is about God's word, but just so everyone knows, like Paul said, in all the other accolades you can say, um, that's great. But the most thing that I'm proud of, the thing that I cling to the most, the thing that means the most to me is that God reached down into the gutter and grabbed me out. He snatched me like Zechariah 3 says, like a twig that was snatched from the fire just in time. Um, I didn't come into ministry because I saw a want ad uh, for pastors needed. In fact, I was a criminal, an intravenous drug user, a liar, a thief, um, and I had burned every bridge in my life. And God chose me. He grabbed me. He saved me. I cried out, and he heard my cry. And that is the thing that means the most to me because everything else will pass away. But being a son or a daughter of God, adopted into the family. That is something that the world or life or sickness or any political divide, nothing in this world can take from us. Being a child of God, and the thing that I'm second most proud of is to be a graduate of this great ministry. Because to be honest with you, without that, without those two things, nothing else is possible. There's no books, there's no preaching all over the world, there's not even getting out of my house. There's no, there's no future for me. There's incarceration and eventual death and hopelessness. Brother, your, your testimony was powerful. Hold fast to that. Don't ever let the past hold you back, but don't forget where God brought you from. When you're, when you're living your life with your family two or three years from now, and the world starts to sort of rock you asleep with the rhythm that comes with living life and paying bills and doing mundane tasks, don't ever forget about what God did for you uh last year december 9th always keep that close to your mind and uh how many of you here are part of team challenge or have been part of team challenge in some way here tonight so a lot of us um it's great to be here with you i'm so thankful that we're all here and god has redeemed us from so many different situations um we are in cache oklahoma which is our team challenge is a little different we're out in an 80 acre ranch out in the middle of nowhere um Out in the heartland of Oklahoma, there's drugs, just like there is in inner city Brooklyn. On every street corner, every rural town, there's opiates, methamphetamines. Um, And I, I, I like to say this, you know, you can look at drugs in a hopeless way, but I truly believe that God is using the drug epidemic to forward the gospel in the earth. God is using that. Not that God sent that, but God is using that. God is using what the enemy meant for evil, and he's turning it good so if you'll turn with me in your bibles today um let me say hi to my wife who's watching at home i love you i love you very much can't wait to get home to you we're uh we're gonna have a message tonight that is entitled come and die come and die That's actually the title of my my 2021 book that will be coming out. It's a book about Christian discipleship. Yes, there is life in Christ. Yes, there is a new life, a resurrected life in Christ. But before there is a life in Christ, there has to be a death. There has to be an old life. Listen, it says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. We have got to die to some things in our life. First and foremost, ourselves. This is gonna be a pretty simple message. We're gonna talk about two things, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus truly, according to the Bible, and how to be useful to God in this life. Lord, I just thank you so much, God, for the tremendous opportunity of bringing your word to your people. Lord, I, I don't take it for granted, God. I, I am so honored to be able to speak the words of God that are written in Scripture, Lord. Lord, I pray that in these moments, Lord, that it wouldn't be about me. Lord, that I, my personality would, would fade. Uh, my thoughts, Lord, would, would die. Lord, that your word, by the power of your Spirit, will be preached with authority. God, it's the it's the work that you do through your word that matters, Lord, not the the cleverness of my words or the the lack thereof of articulation or my ableness to speak. God, it is the power of your word and the power of your spirit, Lord. And we just come to you right now, Lord. Let us be conformed to the image of your Son in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be coming out of two different texts of Scripture, the first being Matthew chapter 16.21, and the second will be Hebrews 13.7. I'm going to read Matthew 16.21 first. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21, says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, and the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Hebrews 13:7 Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is for the good of our heart to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing disgrace he bore for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. I pray a lot. I'm going to pray again. God, I pray in these moments that our minds will be open to your word. That, you will, that our, our, we will shut out the idea of where we're going after this. Or what we're going to put in our bellies. Lord, the, the fact that it may or may not be raining or some show is on TV, or some task, mundane task that we have to do when we leave this place. Lord, I pray that we will seek you in this moment, God, that we will, we will seek your word to be changed by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. God, that there would be maybe a handful of people here today, Lord, that would be lit aflame for the glory of God. Lord, that there would be people in this place, maybe, Lord, just maybe, who would lay down their agenda, their hopes, their dreams, and pick up a mantle to follow you wherever that road leads. And, God, that it would be for your glory and for the forwarding of your kingdom. Lord, that it would be for the forwarding of your kingdom in this dark and dying and lost world. Lord, you raise up foolish, weak, broken things for your glory. God, you don't take smart things or put together things, but you take broken things and raise them up to shame the strong, to expose the weakness of the world, and to show your superiority in all things. Lord, use your humble vessel now to deliver your word in Jesus' name, amen. It's a lot of scripture, isn't it? This is a message burned deep inside my heart. This is the message of my life. We're talking about the gospel. There's a misconception about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's this. The gospel is a prayer we say at some point. You know, we ask Jesus into our heart. Maybe we pray to a God that we don't know uh, or don't care to know uh, so that we can be saved. The idea of just repeat after me and you will be saved. Now, listen, I'm not saying that people haven't been saved by reciting that prayer. But the point is, is the, the idea of saying a prayer is not the same thing as the idea of seeing the intrinsic value of the Savior and realizing that it's a time to lay an old life down, to make a 180 in your life and go a different direction. And this isn't just for new believers. See, the gospel is the standard by which the Christian life should be compared to daily. The perfection of Jesus, the sinless life he lived. The fact that a God who owed us nothing, literally nothing but condemnation, instead gave us grace and mercy and love. So often today we hear about the love of God, the salvation of God, but we don't ever hear really much about our our need for it. I'm not saying that all of, all of you are in the right place in your heart and mind, but sometimes it's easier when you've ran to the end of your line and you realize that your life is crumbling to grab hold of Jesus. The Bible says it's harder for people who think they got it all together. It's harder for people who are rich and people who think that they are smart and people who are caught up in self-deceivement that comes from the things of this world. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but it can, it can cause. Listen, there's nothing worse than a middle class, lukewarm person who thinks that they're okay with God, but has no idea who God is. They think their goodness is good enough. This is not what Christianity is. Christian, listen, there's not a different gospel to the attic than there is to the, the, the business person on Wall Street. There's one gospel, there's one Savior. Here's the thing about Christianity sometimes we forget about. The gospel is the initial explanation of the supernatural. See, we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ as being this prayer, right, that we say and, you know, it's kind of like I said my prayer and I'm going to go live my life and do me. The gospel is literally a resurrection. It's something that was dead, that's come to life through the power of Jesus Christ. My life was dead. I mean, in almost a literal way, like a zombie. This message is burned deep inside my heart, and it's a call to come and die, but not just for the sake of dying. Come to die so that you might live. The scripture Jesus says in verse Uh, 25 of Matthew 16 says, for those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This isn't just for us team challenge people. This is for everybody under the sound of my voice. But there is this illusion that we can have God and still be the king of our own lives. In fact, there's many preachers who are quick to tell us this is true, to tell us that we can have it all. We can have our cake and eat it too. We can chase our own dream and go our own way, and God is going to bless it as long as we follow a formula. There is no formula. Listen, God wants us to give him everything, not the bad stuff. All things, good things, bad things, and then Christ will give us back the things we need in view of Christ. He's also going to give us some things that we didn't know anything about. See, if you come into Christianity saying, hey, here's my plan. I'm going to come into Teen Challenge and here's my plan. I'm going to get off drugs. I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to go do this or go do that. That is not People giving their life up for the sake of finding a life. And this is for everybody. That's why it's harder for for people who feel like they have it all together sometimes. Usually it's a tragedy or, or something that gets us looking towards God. Many people don't walk into the church because they're looking for God. They're looking for help. They're looking for hope. We walk into Teen Challenge because we're looking for not going to prison or we're looking for freedom from addiction. And that's fine. Come all, come for whatever reason, but at some point that has to change. We have to see Christ for who he is and abandon everything else. And this isn't a metaphor. This is abandoning everything else. Seeing Christ as worthy of laying everything down for is the key. See, oftentimes today we don't, we don't make a high enough view of God. Most of theology is, is confused or messed up because we don't see God for who he is. God is not who we want him to be. God is not like us. God does not answer to us. If you don't think what God says is right or wrong is fair, it doesn't matter. Your corrupt mind cannot judge God. We don't need to defend God in that way. God is God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's above all. And the gospel works like this. Seeing God for who he is, the creator of the universe, someone who owes us nothing, someone who is self-sustaining, someone who is immutable, someone who is omnipresent, someone who is all-knowing, all-powerful, this God. And then we see ourselves in reality compared to that God. What are we next to God? Our good deeds are filthy rags. We see a God who owes us nothing but judgment and condemnation. We see ourselves for wretched sinners. And because we see these two things properly, then we see the gift of grace for the beautiful and precious gift it is. That's why the hymn writer said, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If you don't see yourself as a wretched sinner, you don't see God as a sovereign Lord of the universe. Then grace is just kind of, huh? Eh, sure, God died for me. He's going to give me a better life. That preacher said God wants me to be rich. All right. I'm good with that. Seeing Christ as worthy of laying your entire life down, casting everything aside in order to follow him, is an aim of much of the New Testament. Look at the lives of these men. Look at the lives of the apostles. Look at the lives of the early church fathers. I want you to see Christ's value to the point that this call to die, this call to sacrificial living, doesn't seem radical anymore. That's what I want. I want the, the value and beauty of Jesus to eclipse everything else in your life. How many of you have ever been in love? In love, you just, you know, why do you follow that girl around? Why do you do all that stuff? Why do you bring her these gifts? Why do you give up stuff? Because she told you to. Hey, listen, you seem like a nice guy. Here's a, a list of conditions. You want to, who are you? But there's this moment where you see some value in this other person, this man or this woman. So you're struck with something. And you're willing to to even listen in marriage to the point you're willing to stand up in front of all your family and friends and say, listen, I deny myself of other women of of certain things that I could have as a single person. But now I'm denying those things. Why? Out of duty? No, out of love. But love has something to do with duty. See, here's the thing. Often we preach about the works of of, of salvation and, and, and we we get it twisted While it's true that works have nothing to do with salvation, your good deeds, your works, your effort have nothing to do with salvation, all completed in Christ. But that doesn't mean there isn't work to do. The difference is, is we, we obey God because why? Because we love him. We obey God because he accepts us. And so the idea of dying to your old life or denying yourself when you put it in that sort of frame of mind doesn't seem that extreme. It doesn't seem extreme when we're talking about marriage. How much less should it be when we're talking about the God who we we proclaim to love, that we sing these songs, I exalt thee. The purpose of this message has a few different points. Number one, to come and die that you might live. Number two, to encourage you to live a life of missionary sacrifice. And here's the, the rub. And a joyful embrace of suffering for the sake of God. Number three, to see Christ as the all-satisfying and supreme treasure of your life. And as your destination. And as your reward. And number four, and here's the sort of weird one we'll have to get to at the end. And because of these things, we will be willing to go outside the camp, like it says in Hebrews, and suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. My heart cry for you, Team Challenge, for the church, the church at large in America, is that we see Christ as so important. Listen, something worth dying for is something worth living for. We claim that we want to live for Christ, but we're not willing to give up any comfort. Listen, I'm not saying that like doing certain things makes you, you're earning God's love by, by sacrificing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, sing Jesus as worthy sacrifice. You guys know in Matthew 5 when it says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Listen, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. You light a lamp and you put it in the corner so everyone can draw light from it. Where does that light come from? Well, the first verses in the beginning of Matthew 5 tell us. That light is born in the process of becoming a a follower of Jesus and then living life like Jesus. It goes something like this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means people who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt, that their righteousness could never, ever make them right with God. People who mourn over their sin, and because of that they live in repentance towards God. People who are meek and put their trust in the Lord. What will those people do? It's those kind of people will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Bible says they'll be filled. You guys know this, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes? Why does it say that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled? Why doesn't it say those who hunger and thirst for God? Because in our minds, there's many versions of God. We all kind of, to some extent, I'm not going against Revel- or uh, Romans 1. I'm not saying we're all seeking after God and we can't find him. But to some extent, we know that we need God. We know we do. But the author, Jesus, who's writing, or the, the author, Matthew, is quoting Jesus here. Jesus didn't say those who, who hunger and thirst for God. He says those who hunger and thirst to be right with God. Those people will be filled. And guess what? Those people will be filled, and they'll be pure in heart. They'll be meek and patient, but also those people will be persecuted because of righteousness for two reasons. One, because of the things you say and because of the life you live. Salt and light is different. Light is obviously different than darkness. There's no doubt about light being different than dark. You can have the darkest room. All the lights could be out here. You could light one match, and all eyes would be drawn to that. Listen, and he, he makes it clear that salt and light is produced in persecution. I'm a firm believer that if you are never persecuted to some extent, you're not doing Christianity right. See, it's easy to say, hey, man, God loves you and God blesses you. Well, great. The God of my mind loves me and blesses me. But how about saying that Jesus loves you, and Jesus is the only way to God? You say that in the wrong circles today, and people are liable to get offended. But the question is, is it the truth? And what will the truth do? It'll set you free. Okay, moving forward. I'm, 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 I got stuck in the beginning there, so I'm going to have to move quickly through the rest of this. Number one, looking back at Matthew chapter 16, first point. We must rebuke anything that stands in the way of the cross. We must rebuke anything that stands in the way of the cross, anything that stands in the way of our embrace of Jesus's cross, which is the gospel, anything that stands in the way of us embracing our own cross. We must discard anything and everything that stands in the way of us picking up our cross and following Jesus. Have you ever really looked at that scripture before and, and been kind of like, man, Jesus was harsh to Peter there? And if you read back, The next paragraph before that, Jesus is affirming Peter. Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say you're a prophet, maybe Elijah. uh, you know." But Jesus goes, no, 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 who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him. He says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my father who is in heaven. And then he didn't stop there. And on this confession, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Could you imagine? Peter was like, "Woo!" He had a revelation from God, and Jesus Himself affirmed it. And then minutes later, He says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Why? Not because Peter did anything especially evil, or He was mad at him. It's because anything that stands in the way of the cross must be rebuked harshly what did jesus say to peter he said listen you have in mind human concerns not the concerns of god you're focused on yourself brothers i don't care what anybody tells you the gospel is not about self-help or self-therapy or self-love or self-esteem it is about seeing yourself as bankrupt and being filled up with value and a new life from Jesus Christ. Not not as your mind tells you, but as revealed in this word. Anything that stands in the way of the gospel must be rebuked. Anything that stands, listen, culturally, anything that stands in the way that Jesus is the only way to God, that no man comes to the Father except through me, that Jesus alone made propitiation and, and died for our sins, this is what, anything that stands in the way of that must be rebuked. We know that. But anything that stands in the way of us picking up our cross must be rebuked too. And this has a lot to do with us laying down our lives, good things and bad things, and trusting God to give us things back as he sees fit. Listen, some of the things he's never going to give us back. Some of that junk you think you, you need, the good father when you pray to him, he's going to say, Yeah, son, you don't really need that. You don't see it yet. This is what it means to trust God. What are human concerns? What are human concerns? I would follow Jesus, but. I would be focused in team challenge, but. But my kids, but my wife, where am I gonna work? Forget about team challenge. I would follow Jesus, but, you know, my my son's in soccer. We don't really have time for church. Anything that stands in the way of the gospel of the cross must be. And this is what it means to die to yourself. And here's the thing: we think about this because we think we know what's good. We don't even we don't even know what tomorrow holds. We're so desperate to hold on to this ash heap of a life because it's all we know. When Jesus knows what He created you for, He knows what He built you for, what He had in mind. Listen, there was no plan in my future to be a pastor or a preacher. I was the least likely candidate. I wanted God to help me with addiction, and, and then I was going to be a rock star and you know, be rich and be a business. I had all these plans, but God created me for a specific purpose. And it wasn't until I laid, I just gave it all up to him, I don't know where I'm going, God. I don't know what I'm doing, that God was able to actually use me. And I'm here to tell you this, brothers and sisters. There is no such thing as a person who professes faith in Christ but doesn't follow him. And if you think I'm wrong, show me in the Bible where it says that there are people in the New Testament who professed faith that didn't follow Jesus. There was one guy who who bowed before Jesus. He said, hey, listen, good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. He says, well, keep the law perfectly. Well, he was self-deceived, and he said, I've done that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I kept the Ten Commandments. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack. There's one thing standing between you and the cross. Here it is. You need to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Not for nothing, though. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. But... He didn't see Jesus as valuable. He didn't see Christ as a treasure. And it says he went away sad. In today's economy, he would probably be a trustee or a deacon in many churches. Hey, the, the rich guy's here. Now we're going to be able to do some ministry. Listen, God's ways are higher than our ways. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And here's what faith is, in case you don't know. Faith isn't really, really, really wanting something. Faith is knowing that we stand justified before God on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. And that God will keep His promises to us. That's what faith is. Nothing less, nothing more. Faith isn't really, really wanting something. Faith is taking God at his word. I didn't mean to discard your your work here, Charles. Um, I'll put it here for now. Please hear that. If there's nothing else you hear in the sermon, hear this. Faith is not a substance we bottle up to get things we want. When people were healed in the Bible and he said your faith has made you whole, he wasn't saying, hey, you really, really wanted it bad, and you conjured up enough faith, and now I'm going to heal you. They believed something about who Jesus was. They believed. They may not have had a theological understanding, or, or but they were brave enough to say, I know you can do something. I'm going to look stupid, and I'm going to walk out in front of everybody and say, touch me, Jesus. And he said, your faith made you whole. What made them whole? The fact that they believed in Jesus, not that they really, really, really wanted something. All right. Second point. Number two, salt and, light, salt and light is produced through persecution and suffering. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Remember the earlier days after you received the light? He's talking to some early Christians that were under persecution at this time. He said, Remember the days when you received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood with those who are willing to be treated so you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property why because you knew that you yourselves had a best better and lasting possession so don't throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded my heart's cry for you and for the, for the American church at large is that we would once again see Christ as beautiful, supreme, and worthy of all things. That we'll be set aflame, that we're willing to go out in the streets and evangelize once again. That we will look a person square in the eye with love and truth and say, Listen, apart from God, you will perish. It takes courage. But what it really takes is trust that God is God. Because if you really believe who God is, if you really fear the Lord, then you will not fear man. When I get up to preach, if my thought is, I wonder if they're going to like my sermon. I don't have, who cares? Here's the only question, God, am I honoring your word? God, am I telling the truth? Because I believe it. I believe that all things outside of Christ will be subject to judgment, but all things in Christ will be saved. Here's the beauty. Christ isn't asking us to give everything up for nothing. He's asking us to give up some junk for everything. Let me give you a little analogy, and it's not perfect. I'll be done 15 minutes on the dot. Hang with me, 15 minutes. I don't mean that like a Pentecostal preacher. I mean that really, 15 minutes. If you had a junky old Geo 1998, and if one of you have one, and it's a blessing from God, I'm not picking on your car, but you have an old Geo, and there's like duct tape on the bumper, right? And you're driving, and it barely starts, and man, sometimes you're not even sure you're gonna be able to get to work, right? And then I came to you, and I said, listen, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy you a brand new car. 2020, no miles on the speedometer, great gas mileage, five-year warranty, You don't have to do anything except one thing. I need you to take your old junky car and find someone else who doesn't have a car and give it to them. And then meet me at the dealership on Monday and you're gonna drive out of there with a new car. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, there's one of two reasons. One, you don't want a new car. For some reason you wanna hold on to the, the old geo. Got some good memories in there. Or number two, and here's the real reason. It's because you don't believe me. You don't believe me. You're not willing to give up the geo because what if I'm not a man of my word? What if I don't follow through? And listen, here's the thing I'm just a man, God is God. God has never failed. God has never left one of his disciples, left them or forsake them. We've got his word established over 4,500 years of promises fulfilled, namely Jesus Christ. God has never let us down. Why wouldn't we believe him? And here's what I'm talking about. Not mature Christianity. I'm talking about the initial call to discipleship. Many people who line pews of churches have been there for five or ten years and have never really given their lives to God. There's people that that right now think that they're good with God because some preacher told them, if you recite a prayer you don't mean to a God, you have no interest in knowing that you're covered. But I'm here to tell you that God wants us to have faith in him. And here's the beautiful part, not perfection. Look at Peter. He followed Jesus and he messed everything up. Paul killed people before he was a Christian. Understand this, nothing about your past life will be held against you. There's not one sin. There's not a murder. There's not a crime. There's not an evil thought or desire. Listen, the slate is clean and all things are new. The question is, do you believe that enough to let go of your old life once and for all, the good and the bad? And here's what it really comes down to. And here's why suffering so important, Christian suffering. Not because we long to suffer, not because it's fun to suffer, not because we get some sort of... I You know, excitement about talking about Christian suffering. But the New Testament is laced up with messages about suffering. And there's something that Paul and Jesus and John all like to draw from. It's the idea that you're willing to suffer for something you love. It shows that you're living for a different kingdom in a different world. Listen, the Bible doesn't say the strong survive and the hustlers rise to the top. It says the meek. Will inherit the earth. What did it say back in Hebrews 10? We just read a second ago. It says you joyfully watched your stuff get plundered. You went to prison. And you, you visited people who went to prison. Why? Because you weren't living for this world. You were looking to a city whose builder and maker is God himself. And I'm not saying God don't bless us in this life. Because my life is so richly blessed. But my faith in God has no bearing on if I'm living in a nice house tomorrow or if I'm homeless tomorrow, I know who God is. I know where my destiny is. And it's not in this world. It's to be with Him forever. Seeing Christ as a treasure will make you abandon all the things of this world. Or as the whole hymn says, make the things of this world grow strangely dim. Here's a few scriptures about, uh, about, about Christian suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone, not some, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Acts 5.41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. We're talking about Peter and John here. It says they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name Hebrews 11.6, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11.24, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And here's why. Because he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. As greater value than all the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking forward to his reward. We're running out of time here, but if you read through the book of Hebrews, it talks about the things of this world, even the things of God, being shadows and placeholders for the thing that is to come. The sacrifice in the temple. It's a, it's a it's a placeholder for the real forgiveness of sin. The temple itself is a placeholder, a shadow of a real temple that's coming. Listen, Moses was a sort of savior of Israel and so was Abraham and so was Joseph, but they all fell short because we needed a perfect Savior, and this is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we have him. We have access to God. We have access to boldly approach the throne of grace. Why is the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, so powerful? Because it shows one thing, that it's faith alone in Christ that makes God, uh, that makes us right with God. Because every one of those heroes also had failures. Moses, Some failures. He didn't even get to go in the promised land. Abraham, dude, was, lied, saved his own butt a few times. But the thing that united them was faith and a, and for them it was a, a, a Savior far off. For us, we have the Word. We have the resurrection. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We are much more without excuse than those, those guys in the Old Testament. Skipping ahead. Before we go to our third point, anybody ever heard of Richard Wombrand? He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. If you you want to read this book, just go to voiceofthemartyrs.com. Send them a request, and they'll send you a free copy of this book. Richard Wombrand started this ministry called Voice of the Martyrs that, that helps missionaries and helps persecuted Christians all over the world. He has been the head of many, many ministries that is worldwide. Prominent man of God. You know, he spent 14 years in a communist prison because he wouldn't deny Christ. They even tried to let him out a few times. They said, listen, if you'll just stand up publicly in front of these people and say that you don't believe in Christ, we'll set you free. And he stayed for 14 years. This guy accomplished tons of stuff in ministry, preached all around the world, wrote books, started ministries that are still running today. And they said, Richard, what is the most important thing about your Christian life? What are you most proud of? What do you think, what is the most impactful, important thing you ever did in ministry? What matters the most to you? He said, the most important honor I ever had was being willing, being able to suffer for the name of Jesus. To be found faithful. 14 years in prison. There's a quote by Richard and it says this, A faith that can be destroyed by suffering is no faith at all. If your faith can be destroyed by suffering, you don't have faith in God. Number three, Christ is our reward. Hebrews 12, 1 through three says, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or the King James says, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured so much opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Looking to Christ, Jesus became a man. He suffered reproach and shame for a reward that he desired. You know what that reward was? It's you. Me. And guess what? It wasn't because there was gold inside of you or because you were important or because you had potential. Listen, all this stuff inside of you, God put it there. He's not like, "Oh, oh, this guy, let's save him. He's got some potential. He saved you because, and here's something that's so hard for some of us, some of us who didn't have dads to hear. He saved us because he loved us. A kind of love that we can't even fathom. While we were yet sinners, while I was in a crack house, smoking a glass pipe, Christ had already died for me. He had already borne reproach for my sin. He had already laid it all out for me. While I was sinning and raising a fist to God, being the Lord of my own life, God had already laid his love out for me in the gospel. And all he wanted me to do was grab hold of it. Here's the problem, though. Many times we want a Savior, but you can't have a Savior that you don't call Lord. Skipping ahead to the last point. Let us go to him outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the city to make a people holy through his own blood. So let us then go outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking towards the city is to come. This is a lot to try to unpack. And my my urging to you is that you would read the book of Hebrews, maybe, at some time and study this out. But let me just try to nutshell this for you. The temple of God that couldn't bring forgiveness of sins, but it gave remission to sins. That is where animals would go and be slaughtered, right? Every year by the high priest. The high priest wasn't even good enough. He had to make sacrifices for his own sin, right? Christ, who was solid, supreme, the God who spoke the world into existence, who owed us nothing, came to earth. And he became the perfect sacrifice for us. Listen, in in the times of Israel, bad things happened outside the city gates. That's where people were sent when they were unclean. That's where bodies were sent out to. That's where animals were, animal carcasses were sent to be burned. Listen, when the, when the sacrifices happened in the temple, they took the bodies outside because it was unclean. There were robbers outside. It was dangerous outside. There was safety inside the city. And this scripture is telling us that Jesus himself, and there's so much more to unpack here, but I just don't have time. Jesus suffered the reproach of being sent out where there's thieves and robbers and urine and burnt sacrifices and unclean lepers. And that is where he hung and died for you and me. And Christianity is not about us having our best life now. It's about seeing that this life is a shadow that is quickly disappearing. But outside the city suffering for us is our Savior, our King. Listen, let me tell you something. The book of Philippians says every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Listen, some will bow in honor in this life, but some will bow in shame in the next. But make no mistake... Every knee will bow. And why am I saying this to you? Because if God saved you, transformed your life, listen, deals with a guy that falls down all the time, can't keep his foot out of his mouth, can't help but mess up. I got to go to the altar every morning. Thank God his mercies are new every morning. Cleanse me, help me, God. And He's faithful to do it. So this God that I claim to love and owe my life to, Did I say I live my life for? Jesus is asking, the author of Hebrews is asking, well, are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? And here's the last part. Because to be used by God, you've got to suffer reproach for his name. And there's some of you here today that I believe have surrendered your life to God. But it's always going to be more than you thought. It's always going to cost more than you thought. I'm not saying you're like working out your salvation. That's not what I mean. Don't throw anything at me, Pastor. But my point is this. What we have to give up is much more than we thought. There's many times where I thought, man, I'll give you the drugs. I'll give you the hopelessness. I'll give you the despair. He's like, wait a minute. I want your hopes and dreams too. I want your perceived goodness. I want your plans for life. I want everything. And the way that we give that to him is by seeing that he's worth it. He is worthy. Much of Christian preaching today focuses on us, man-centered. But true Christianity is focused on the supreme beauty of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we actually lived like we believed that, then we would be salt and light in this world. you are talking about people being uh, joyful when their possessions are taken from them. We get mad when someone looks at us funny. We get mad when something's uncomfortable. We get mad when we have to wear a mask to church. We get mad when it's not air conditioned or the seats are uncomfortable or the worship band played a song we don't like. Church ain't about you. It's about God giving glory to God because he saved you and loved you. And for your life to be useful to him, you've got to go outside of the camp and suffer reproach for his name. Here's the last scripture. Philippians 3. I won't read the whole thing, but Paul basically says, Listen, if there was anybody who had a reason to have confidence in their flesh, it's me. I was a Pharisee. I kept the law like better than any man could. I had zeal for God. I was born in the right tribe. I was on the fast track to success. But when I met Jesus, here's how my perspective changed. Verse 7. Would you mind playing something on the keyboard for a second? Paul says this. All my accolades, but whatever was gains to me before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider it garbage. The best thing in our life compared to Christ is garbage. Christ is, don't misunderstand me. Christ is more valuable than your children. Christ is more valuable than your life. Christ is more valuable than your wife. And here's the truth. Because without him, you can't sustain any of those things anyway. You can't be any good to anyone without Christ. He wants you to give everything up and trust that he'll give it back to you with the ability to steward it. Some of the stuff he's not giving back to you because it really is garbage. Some of the stuff, and listen, we think we know right from wrong. We don't. We've got to renew our minds by this word. Here's a little charge to you to end the sermon. And I'm going a little longer, but here's a question. Because I know, listen, I'm, I don't do altar calls very often or that sort of thing. Not because they're wrong. It's just not the way I preach. But I want you to understand something. There, I, there may be one of you out there that sees the value in Christ, and he's asking you to, to take that next step. Not for your salvation, but to step into your calling. I don't know what it is. Some of you are going to be pastors like me. Some of you are going to be pastors like him. Some of you are going to run businesses. But listen, doing these things for the glory of God and laying everything down. All your, I'm not telling you, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm saying to walk to God and make this brave prayer, what would you ask of me? Lord, send me. What did David Wilkerson pray? He didn't say, God, I need a... He said, God, send me. Where would you send me? How do you want to use me? What do you want from me? Where are the Joabs who say, be strong and let us fight bravely, and the Lord will do what is good in his sight? Ladies, where are the Esthers who are willing to do something hazardous and dangerous for the glory of God and for the sake of the people Saying, although it's against the law that I go into the king, I will. And if I die, I die. Where are the Stephens who joyfully lay their lives down to start a revolution? Stephen didn't die for nothing. He died for the glory of God, preaching the glory of God. And because he died, the disciples were scattered to the ends of the earth for the sake of the great commission. Where are the Elijahs who will stand up against the prophets of Baal of this age? And say, listen, my God will answer by fire. Who's bold enough with God's word that will stand toe to toe and be so given to the truth that they're willing to die for it. But so given to love, on the other hand, that they're they're unbreakable, unshakable. The truth and love is a two sided coin. Where are the youth pastors who preach the gospel and weep for teenagers? Where are the shepherds who reek and smell of sheep, who weep for lost men? Men and women of prayer and unwavering conviction for the gospel, who fear the Lord and don't need the approval of men. Where are the men and women brave enough to stand reviled for the sake of the truth in this day, instead of handing an encouraging word and a donut as we send people on their way to hell? Listen, God didn't save you for no reason, brothers and sisters. Christianity isn't about arriving somewhere in this life. It's about giving this life up for the glory of God, to be salt and light in a dark and lost world. And here's my just my appeal to you. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let Paul or Pat, whoever's closing it, close it out. Here's my appeal to you. Not for my gratification. I'm not going to tell you to come down here. Who is willing to step outside the camp and suffer reproach for the name of Christ?